Good afternoon, and thank you for joining Atlassian's earning conference call for the third quarter of fiscal year 2023. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded and will be available for replay from the Investor Relations section of Atlassian's website following this call. I will now hand the call over to Martin Lamb, Atlassian's Head of Investor Relations. Welcome to Atlassian's third quarter of fiscal year 2023 earnings call. Thank you for joining us today. Joining me on the call today, we have Atlassian's co-founders and co-CEOs, Scott Farquhar and Mike Cannon-Brooks, our Chief Revenue Officer, Cameron Deitch, and Chief Financial Officer, Joe Binns. Earlier today, we published a shareholder letter and press release with our financial results and commentary for our third quarter of fiscal year 2023. The shareholder letter is available on Atlassian's Work Life blog and the Investor Relations section of our website, where you will also find other earnings-related materials, including the earnings press release and supplemental investor data sheet. As always, our shareholder letter contains management's insight and commentary for the quarter. So during the call today, we'll have brief opening remarks and then focus our time on Q&A. This call will include forward-looking statements. Forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. If any such risks or uncertainties materialize, or if any of the assumptions prove incorrect, our results could differ materially from the results expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements we make. You should not rely upon forward-looking statements as predictions of future events. Forward-looking statements represent our management's beliefs and assumptions only as of the date such statements are made, and we undertake no obligation to update or revise such statements should they change or cease to be current. Further information on these and other factors that could affect our financial results is included in filings we make with the Securities and Exchange Commission from time to time, including the section titled Risk Factors in our most filed annual and quarterly reports. In today's call, we will also discuss non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP financial measures are in addition to and are not a substitute for or superior to measures of financial performance prepared in accordance with GAAP. A reconciliation between GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures is available in our shareholder letter, earnings release, and investor data sheet on the IR website. Please keep in mind that we'd like to allow as many of you to participate in Q&A as possible. To facilitate that, we'll take one question at a time. Please rejoin the queue if you have another question or follow up, and we'll do our best to come back to you later in the session. With that, I'll turn the call over to Scott for opening remarks. Thank you for joining us today. As you've already read in our shareholder letter, we delivered another solid quarter of financial results and continue the steady drumbeat of innovation to help our customers transform the way they work. We've just wrapped Team 23, our annual Alaskan conference, where we gathered with thousands of customers and partners. The Alaskan community has never been stronger and the enthusiasm for our product announcements was unmatched. We introduced Alaskan Intelligence, a virtual teammate which uses generative AI technology and leverages the Alaskan platform to accelerate customers' work in a way that is tailored to them. With 20 years of knowledge reflecting how hundreds of thousands of software, IT and business teams plan, track and deliver work, Alaskan intelligence is like a floodlight, lighting up new customer insights. We're excited to see how AI will unleash our customers' potential and strengthen our competitive advantage. In addition to Alaskan intelligence, we also announced exciting new features and platform enhancements including Confluence whiteboards and databases, support for up to 50,000 users in our cloud, and Beacon, a new threat detection and mitigation product, just to name a few. It's incredibly exciting to think about the opportunities we have in front of us. With the unique features and capabilities for Alaskan Intelligence and the platform innovations we're delivering, customers are more enthusiastic than ever to migrate to the cloud, and we look forward to helping them on that journey. 
With that, I'll pass the call to the operator for Q&A. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press star followed by the one on your phone. If you'd like to withdraw from the queue, please press star followed by the two. Your first question comes from Greg Moskowitz from Mizuho Securities. Greg, your question, please. Okay, thank you very much for uh, taking the question. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, you mentioned in the shareholder letter that the Q4 guide includes an assumption of increasing headwinds for churn and for premium addition upsells, even though you've yet to see uh, a significant impact in those areas. Uh, and I think that's prudent, uh, but wondering if you could contextualize this a bit more for us. For instance, are you basing in a, a modest incremental headwind, or would you say that it's more substantial than that? Yeah, thanks, Greg. Um, really, no change to our guidance approach that we took back in February uh, when it comes to the cloud guidance specifically. That cloud guidance range assumes the macroeconomic environment gets worse in Q4 and year-to-date trend lines continue into Q4. You're right to call out the fact that the low end of that range not only assumes continued weakness in the two drivers that we've seen to date around paid seed expansion at existing customers and free-to-paid conversions, but it also does include some macro impact to areas that have held up well year-to-date like churn, upsell, and migrations. So we do expect and have built in pretty substantial uh, macroeconomic headwinds at the low end of that range. The other thing I'd call out really quickly is if you take that Q4 guidance, it puts our full-year FY23 cloud guidance at 37% year-over-year. That's squarely within the range of the 35 to 40% we provided in February. So really no fundamental change overall in our cloud outlook or our, our approach to guidance. Thank you, Joe. That's helpful. The next question comes from Brent Fields from Jeffries. Brent, your question, please. Uh, Joe, uh, EMEA grew 22% this quarter. Uh, I think last quarter was 30%. It, it seems like you had uh, some, some weakness in the region. Can you just give us a sense um, what happened there? And maybe I'm just reading too much into the numbers, but anything to call out there? Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Brent, and great to hear from you. Um, I'll start, and then I'll let Cameron chime in. In EMEA, revenue trends uh, tend to be quite volatile quarter to quarter than the U.S., and the reason for that is pretty simple. EMEA has been slower to adopt the cloud, so there is more data center revenue in the EMEA sales mix. And D.C., as you know, is inherently more volatile for two reasons. One is revenue recognition. 20% of D.C. license value is recognized up front. And then secondarily, customer purchasing behavior around data center pricing changes also creates some volatility. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, it's typically just a function of quarter-to-quarter -quarter volatility, but I'll pass it to Cameron for more of the customer uh, insight. Yeah, um, repeating what Joe said there, but I would like to speak just to the cloud adoption in, in EMEA. Uh, obviously, we do see cloud adoption you know, lagging behind the U.S. and the Americas, but in general, over the last year, as we've done things like data residency in uh, in Germany, as well as uh, higher uh, requirements for band fee for financial services organizations, we've been able to see more and more of our larger uh, customers in Europe choosing to go to cloud. Um, we actually worked with a very large uh, uh, European bank over the last few quarter, a few months, getting them signed up for cloud, and we're starting to migrate them today. So I will see that, although they're lagging, we are seeing that adoption continuing to increase uh, more in line with the U.S. numbers. Thank you. The next question comes from Keith Weiss from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. 
Excellent. Um, I was hoping to sneak in, in two questions, one kind of more tactical and short-term in nature and one longer term. Uh, on the short term, this is going off of Greg's uh, question, I think what a lot of people are, are, are trying to understand is what the shape of the quarter was and, and how demand held up through the quarter um, and whether that influenced sort of the more conservative Q4 guide. So uh, maybe if, if Cameron gives a view on kind of like how the quarter progressed, the, the longer-term question comes from sort of um, – I think the, the debate that all of us are having around like large language models and generative AI on whether they're going to be disruptive or, or um, complementary to a lot of existing businesses. You guys have already rolled out um, uh, functionality when it comes to your um, the ITSM side of the equation. So how do you guys think about that question of the, like sort of the, the risk of, of being displaced by people utilizing these new technologies versus your ability and what's going to make you sticky and being able to um, – benefit from them and does that necessitate at all kind of changing the pricing model moving away from the per seat pricing model uh maybe to better sort of account for the value that you're adding that doesn't take place with the with, with the agent itself but takes place on the platform um actually doing a lot more of the work thanks for the question keith uh this is joe i'll take the first part with cameron and then michael chime in on the second uh, in terms of the linear nature of the quarter, we did not see anything unusual about the linearity of our billings in the quarter, nor did we see anything unusual in the month of April where trends were consistent with Q3. Cam? Perfect. Yeah, I'd say the only thing is, uh, as all of you know, we did a price change on our server and data center licensing in mid-February. That, of course, causes some behavior throughout the quarter, but no, no nothing significant throughout the, the quarter beyond the re reaction to the price changes. Mike? Yeah, thanks, Keith. Great, great question. Um, look, quite clearly what I can say from, from Atlassian's point of view, we, we think that AI, large language models, as you mentioned, is a huge opportunity for us as a business. Um, if you look at our fundamentals, we, we've always tried to solve human problems, not technology problems, right? Which means we have a lot of customer knowledge and data entrusted to us over the last two decades. Uh, we have a fantastic platform to build on top of that connects that, that knowledge together. Um, and we have a fantastic R&D team to build features on top of these things. So AI allows our customers to be significantly more efficient um, to, to get to our mission of unleashing the potential of every team. That's, that's what we believe it will do. So from our point of view, um, we think our best opportunity to grow our business through the Atlassian Intelligence feature set is to drive customer growth, right? Um, we, we have a goal of uh, in the long term, we need the Fortune 500,000, not the Fortune 500, and we think that these technologies will help us get there. Um, that's why we're including the, the uh, features in all uh, editions rather than as a separate SKU. Um, it, it's not a, a good customer experience, and we think it will, will slow adoption uh, to, to uh, put it that way around. Um, we also obviously have a major trend, as you're all well aware of, in uh, the migrations to the cloud in our business. Um, our largest customers uh, in data center um, have the most amount of knowledge and data built up over time, which hence they can get the most amount of efficiency. And with this feature set being uh, only available in the cloud, it's, it's a further reason for them to migrate or bring forward their migrations. Um, and as we know that the uh, uh, migrated customers have uh, really great economics for Alassian, faster expansion rates, et cetera. So that, that's the reason we're looking at it that way. Fundamentally, yes. Uh, a huge advantage for our customers, which is why we're in this business in the first place. Um, and secondly, that's how we're looking at, um, at growing Elastic's business through uh, the Elastic Intelligence feature set. Awesome. Appreciate the call.
Your next question comes from Fatima Bulani from City. Please go ahead. Oh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, Mike, maybe for you, um, or Scott, on uh, the Jira Service Management uh, product pillar, a lot of activity and action in really um, uh, boosting the use cases that GeoSim can be deployed in, specifically around external uh, customer support use cases. And, you know, we're familiar with um, certain vendors in that market. So I'm curious what else needs to happen to really drive more monetization scale in JSM, and particularly in the context of some of your very large customers who are working through a headcount retrenchment process where JSM can be a very uh, labor deflationary investment. And then a quick follow-up for Jill, if I may. Sure, I can, I can certainly take that for you, Fatima. Uh, uh, Look, uh, we remain incredibly bullish on our position in the, in the ITSM and ESM spaces, uh, and obviously Jira Service Management is a huge part of that. Um, I think as, as customers naturally uh, are looking to be more efficient with their spend uh, in, a, in a more turbulent economic time, uh, that would, would lead to advantages uh, in Jira Service Management, and we continue to push those. Um, we've invested heavily with the lasting intelligence feature sets and virtual agents and all sorts of other technologies that uh, make customers more efficient, make agents more efficient, fundamentally allow them to process more uh, uh, requests uh, per, per day, per hour, uh, with hopefully greater custom fidelity as well. Um, so that, that's it's one of the reasons we're, we're incredibly uh, bullish at the moment. Second is zero service management, just to remind people, um, it, it lands predominantly in IT teams. Um, but it does have a great expansion story to other parts of the organization in terms of like HR, finance, marketing, uh, legal areas, which are fundamentally service-driven parts of an organization uh, that have their customers being other parts of the organization. Um, that has long been our thesis. Uh, again, our fundamental philosophy is that there are far more agents, we believe, inside a company than other companies uh, think, other, other vendors think. Uh, because we're not just targeting the IT team. That said, obviously, we have a wonderful landing spot through the development and IT organization uh, and expansion, and we continue to see that throughout the quarter as uh, customers increasingly use Jira service management outside of IT teams, and that, that's a long-term growth factor for us. I appreciate that detail. Um, Joe, the question for you is just on the cloud trajectory. I know a lot of us have been grappling with um, how that segment is digesting and absorbing the pretty meaningful moderation you've seen in the expansion. Um, and I know you alluded to in your shareholder letter that you know, turn levels necessarily ha have not increased. Um, but, but can you help us sort of understand or at least um, maybe put a, some sort of a downside cap on um, how you're thinking about that dynamic where you're really actively trying to manage gross uh, seat turn in order to um, yeah, support that growth in, in that segment? Yeah, thanks for the question, Fatima. You know, when we look at the churn rates, especially customer churn, um, it's been very consistent and stable um, throughout the year. That suggests there's nothing that's changed from our structural competitive position. Uh, customers continue to come to our site, uh, try our products, our monthly active users, um, our free instances. Uh, all of that seems very healthy and, and strong. So churn has not been a big issue for us. Uh, the primary driver of the pressure that we're seeing in that cloud segment is really around paid seed expansion at existing customers 
and the free-to-paid conversion rates that we've talked about. Uh, the remainder of the business, whether it's migrations or upsell or cross-sell, uh, all those drivers, pricing, uh, all those drivers continue to be um, very healthy from our perspective. So, you know, that's really been the core issue that we've been we've been working through. Thank you. The next question comes from Michael Turin from Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Hey, great. Uh, thanks. Good afternoon. I appreciate you taking the question. Um, maybe one for me on margin. We, we entered the year expecting mid-teens operating margin. You just delivered a, a second consecutive quarter of, of 20 plus percent. Maybe, Joe, if you can speak to what's driving that uplift. And then as a second part, at the investor session, there was a comment around fiscal 24 as a year of continued investment. So any color in helping us square that with just anything else you're doing to help optimize on the cost side as we're thinking through the, the puts and takes of, of margin trajectory and some of the offsets you, you have within your control. Thank you. Yeah, great, great question. Thanks for asking. Um, if you look at our operating margin performance in the quarter, we did outperform our expectations by six to seven percentage points. Five points of that was driven by lower operating expenses and better operating leverage. Uh, those operating expenses were uh, favorability was driven in two primary areas. First, we had less than expected payroll-related costs from lower bonus expenses and headcount, including about $10 million in savings related to our restructuring. And then secondarily, we had less than expected discretionary costs in areas like professional services and T&E as part of our plan uh, that we discussed earlier in the year to be responsive to the macro impact on our business and align our cost structure with revenue growth. Um, I'll let Scott talk to the comments at Team 23. The last point I would make just is the focus uh, for the team has been around maximizing the return on every dollar spent, making discipline prioritization and resource allocation calls, and driving operational efficiencies. And I really believe the team has done a really good job this year of, of executing across those three things, and that's what you see showing up in that operating expense favorability. Scott? Yeah, just to reiterate what you mentioned, Michael, for those that weren't at our uh, – investor call at our team conference, but uh, yeah, we did say that uh, we see FY24 being a continued investment year. We still see huge opportunities uh, out there in those areas. We talked about migrations, enterprise, ICSM that we're being uh, aggressive in investing behind, and uh, we expect those investments to continue through FY24, of course, to take into account everything that Joe said. Thank you. The next question comes from Cash Rangan from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, thank you very much. Uh, just a quick couple of uh, uh, introspective uh, questions here. The cloud growth rate is, is certainly looking to, uh, to to be set for deceleration in, in Q4. As you look at next year, is there any reason to believe that cloud growth rate could reaccelerate at some point in fiscal 24 based on your assessment of timeline of migrations? and the product readiness. And also, as it, as it relates to generative AI, um, I'm wondering if you can, and it's been hard to get clarity out of uh, uh, company management because it's such a nebulous topic, to the best of your abilities, can you prognosticate if this will mean that you will need fewer developers and fewer service people? And therefore, uh, there is the idea of, of a shrinking TAM, but then you gain share relative to the TAM because your technology will allow uh, to displace workers that do not have the generative AI capability, or 
is it that it, it actually grows the pie because the number of developers will actually grow because the barrier to software development comes down so people like me can start developing. Hopefully that should not be the case, but how, how should we think about the, the TAM implication from a headcount perspective as a, as a result of generative AI and what it does for developers and service people? Thank you so much. Hey, Cash, this is Joe. Thanks for the question. Um, obviously, we aren't providing specific quantitative guidance on FY24, but I would offer up the following on how to think about it directionally, specifically as it relates to the cloud space. But the big caveat I always offer here is on revenue, there's a lots of moving parts, but the biggest being the macroeconomic outlook, which is highly uncertain. And as you've seen in FY23, that can have an impact on our business. Uh, we're not immune to those those factors. Beyond macro, I'd have you think about the following. Mathematically, we will have easier comps as we move through the next year. Uh, we will have a significant event in the second half of the year with the server end of life, and our focus there is really on migrating those customers to either our cloud, preferably, or data center offerings. Uh, we'll also have some benefit from pricing as prior price increases and less loyalty discounts layer into the model. And then lastly, the decisions that we've made this year around rebalancing and reprioritization to reinvigorate revenue growth will begin to land and have positive impact uh, as we move through FY24. So in the end, macro is going to play a big role, and we'll see what that ultimately brings. But hopefully that helps you think through some of the other dynamics uh, that will relate to cloud revenue in FY24. Mike? Yeah, Cash, I can chip in if you're uh, if you're looking for prognostication. That's uh, that's probably my uh, my column. Um, I would answer two ways personally. Firstly, um, the uh, software world, if you want to think about it, you ask if there's going to be less developers, etc. Uh, my my view and our, our house view, I suppose, is no. Right. Um, the simple answer to that is software is not. Uh, demand constrained, it is supply constrained. We are constrained by the supply of developers in the world, not the demand, the number of ideas for pieces of software we could create. So when you create uh, tooling that makes it possible uh, for efficiency uh, of any form, you will soak up more of that demand with the existing supply. Uh, ergo, the supply won't go down. The number of developers, I don't think it goes down. That's not the way sort of human creativity, which is ultimately the root of software, uh, works. Secondly, um, when you make software developers more efficient, if you're talking about, uh, you know, artificial intelligence or large language models with code assistance and writing code, et cetera, or creating parts of software, that uh, makes far more software. The more software there is in the world, that's good for Atlassian in a generalized sense. Um, we're not necessarily working on individual developers. Again, uh, in Jira Software, there are about a quarter of the audience are, are software developers. The more software you have, the more need you have for still uh, uh, designers and program managers and making sure that we have the right software that we're building. Uh, you now have a lot of software to operate, run, and manage. So the more software there is in the world, um, that, that's, that's generally, I think, a good thing for Atlassian. There will be puts and takes across, across this world as it flows through, but um, those would be my, my two fundamental points. We, we maintain incredible optimism for uh, artificial intelligence and what it can do for us as a business to help uh, um, unleash the potential of our customers, to help them create and manage more software in, in uh, that, that market of our, of our three markets. Thanks, Mike. I will learn the code. Thank you. The next question comes from Michael Turret from KeyBank. 
please go ahead. Hey guys, I wanted to just talk about data center versus cloud. Um, you're seeing that uh, some of those impacts on expansion, free to paid, impacting cloud. Um, data center beat in the quarter, and it sounds like you're looking for only a minor decel in, in data center going into next quarter. So, could you tell us what's, what's supporting that growth on a relative basis versus cloud? Yeah, thanks for the question, Michael. This is Joe. Um, you're right. Data center had another strong quarter of revenue growth that accelerated to 47 percent and was better than we expected, and that was primarily driven by two things, stronger than expected renewals and better than expect, expected seed expansions at existing customers. We were helped a little by deal pull forward, resulting from the price change in February, but it was largely consistent with prior year and only slightly higher than our expectations, and certainly not nearly as significant or pronounced as it was two years ago. Uh, having said that, migrations from data center to cloud remain very healthy. Uh, year to date, over 50% of cloud migrations are coming from data center, and that's up from about a third a year ago, so we've got good progress there as well. And then in terms of the guidance, we do expect growth rates there to moderate a little bit in Q4 and beyond, and that's really driven by increasing migrations from data center uh, and cloud and server to cloud uh, as we remove migration blockers and add compelling features and value to our cloud offering. And then secondly, in the data center, we are starting to lap strong prior year comparables in, in Q4, um, and so that's another factor in the, in the growth uh, guidance that we've given. Yeah, this is Cameron. I'll, I'll, I'll just add a little bit on the data center side. For, um, just largely basically talking to customers. We were at, you know, at Team 23 uh, roughly a few weeks ago, where many of our largest customers are there, and many of those customers are still on data center, have been on data center for many years. Now, to say just the tone with those customers over the last few years, you know, I'd say last team or few years ago, three years ago, it was always about, like, why should I move to cloud? What, what are the capabilities? Are you going to get to my data privacy requirements? You name it. I'd say that tone this year, just talking with all those customers is, okay, how do I get there, right? You delivered the new AI, we have these new functionality, you know, we're bought in, now help us guide us through this plan. And I just think that overall tonal shift has been super positive and helping get more data center customers moving to cloud going forward. Your next question comes from Keith Bachman from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you. My question relates to what Cameron was just talking about. As you think about just philosophically in FY24, would you expect data center to continue to outgrow cloud? Um, or, you know, do the compares and some of the other feature set things you were just talking about? And then underneath that, um, you've talked pretty consistently about uh, cloud is getting the benefit of 10 points of growth associated with conversions, as you think about what happens to that 10 points as you anniversary or get beyond the server date, which is uh, mid-Feb, a year away from now, does that cloud conversion go to zero? Or is there continued benefit as you migrate longer term from data center to cloud when you, in fact, uh, perhaps move to enterprise uh, version. So, in other words, uh, you know, is there still a, a longer-term benefit of cloud conversion, or does that 10, 10 points go to zero? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, this is Cameron. I'll, I'll talk to just largely the, the customer choice ahead of us, and you're absolutely right. So, server end of life goes into effect February of next year, and we still have a variety of server customers still sitting out there on a variety of sizes that are effectively need to make that choice between now and February, you know, and many are doing it month by month. 
Obviously, many are going to wait till the last minute to make that choice, um, and they do have two choices. Now, obviously, we're going to lead and try and get as many of those customers to choose cloud, but obviously, we have data centers, a very strong, capable version for them going forward. So I see that continued option out. Um, post for 2024, we'll still have a sizable data center customer base on which to continue migrate customers to the cloud. So this migration journey that we are on does not stop February of next year. It is a multi-year journey as we continue to get all of our on-premises customers eventually to the cloud. Yeah, thanks, Cam. And I would say uh, nothing more to add to that beyond we continue to invest uh, to grow and accelerate that migration to the cloud. We're removing blockers. We're making migration easier through tooling and support investments. We're also closing the gap on pricing between Advantage pricing on DC and cloud with our overall pricing strategy. And just overall, the cloud platform provides the best experience, whether it's analytics or automation or AI or collaboration and better TCO. Those factors will only increase over time. And then just to reiterate what Cameron said, uh, there's a lot of runway left on that cloud migration story, um, and we, you know, we expect to continue to see that even after the server end of life. Okay, perfect. Many thanks. Your next question comes from Fred Havimeyer from Macquarie. Fred, please go ahead. Hey, thank you very much. Um, I wanted to ask about Beacon, actually. It caught my attention in your shareholder letter. Um, offering, it's an, of course an early access product, but shifting and focusing a bit on cybersecurity as it relates to just Atlassian's cloud ecosystem seems an interesting adjacency here. And I'm curious with this early access program, are you seeing signs that there's uh, demand across your customer base for just a broader set of cybersecurity solutions? Um, is this something that you think is specifically monetizable? And is there any sort of scale of customer that is particularly applicable to? Thanks for the good question, Scott, here. Um, just to remind us, uh, uh, so firstly, there's a big demand for, for this sort of product from Atlassian, uh, from our customers, particularly at our user conference, and uh, just customers are excited by this. And if you think about moving to cloud, customers want to make sure that their data is secured and the things that we can do uh, and alerts that we can do, and we can see the shape of usage of our products that allow us to work with our customers on flagging things that might be of interest to them. I just want to remind that this is not a generic security product. This is across our data and our cloud. Now, we have advantages because we have one platform in the cloud and we can offer a beacon across, you know, uh, most of our products. So there's an advantage there from a sort of consolidation perspective and from an IT admin play in a similar way you've seen us do access on the uh, user or authentication side. Um, but this is really a product to help uh, customers be very comfortable in, uh, with uh, how their data gets used in the cloud. And in most cases, what we can offer here is, again, ahead of what uh, the customers could do themselves in a behind-the-firewall uh, setting. And so this is just yet another example of how the, uh, the cloud is overall better for our customers than what they can do themselves and another reason for them to migrate. Your next question comes from Alex Zukin from Wolf Research. Alex, please go ahead. Hey, guys. This is Alan on for Alex Zukin. Uh, I just wanted to ask a financial question. If I think about the shape of NRR through the quarter, I know this isn't a metric you guys report to, but 
just to better understand the growth that you're seeing in the business. Can you just at a high level talk about what that shape looked like through the quarter and through April? Yeah, thanks for the question. You know, unfortunately, no specifics to share with you today on the NRR. Um, given the macro pressure and headwinds we do see on paid seed expansion, it is trending lower. Um, you know, there was nothing unusual about that trend in Q3 relative to Q1 and Q2. Uh, those trends just continued into Q3. Uh, and I'd say lastly, the underlying fundamentals in our business remain very strong. You know, we see no change to our structural competitive position. So we do expect those retention rates to recover once the macro picture stabilizes and improves. Got it. Okay. And just as a quick follow-up, I uh, appreciate the color on the guide for Q4 of cloud growth. Uh, benefiting 10 points from migrations. Uh, just so we kind of have the numbers correctly here, do you mind just kind of telling us like what that exact benefit was in this quarter and the last you know, two quarters or so? Thank you. Yeah, we've, we've consistently said we're getting overall approximately 10 points of revenue growth in the cloud business from migrations. That That hasn't changed dramatically throughout the year. Your next question comes from Ryan McWilliams at Barclays. Ryan, please go ahead. Thanks, David. Question. Um, just on the vertical standpoint, any verticals worth calling out that may have impacted the quarter or the guide? And at this point, do you have a sense maybe uh, what percentage of server customers might choose to remain on server even past the end of life, um, you know, for a couple quarters after? Thanks. This is Cameron. I'll take that. Yeah, uh, just from a customer perspective, as we mentioned, with over 250,000 customers and across all industries, geographies, the sizes of all type, uh, we see that as uh, kind of a massive competitive differentiation for Atlassian, giving us plenty of growth opportunities across the customer base uh, for quite some time. The, uh, of course, the, the trends we've seen in seed expansion slowing down is broad-based across the entire customer base that we see today. Um, one advantage we have is that as every company starts bringing in more and more technology to deliver value to their customers, we obviously get to take advantage of that as we are helping companies with technology teams and business teams work better together going forward. Oh, and then the second part on the server end of life thing, you know, largely most of those customers we see, uh, there will be some that is a perpetual lesson. There will be some customers we believe that um, most will choose cloud, some will go to data center, and obviously some will continue to use the server licenses unsupported. Just about every customer size that I speak to largely is under a compliance requirement or just general IT guidances internally that they do not run unsupported software and that will be choosing cloud or data center post the end of life. So I really see that as a very small portion of the customer base. Your next question comes from Adam Tindall from Raven James. Adam, please go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, maybe one from Mike or Scott. I was going back to my notes from uh, this time last year where you announced free editions of cloud products, and you talked about it echoing an approach from 0809 where you brought in your customer base by offering a $10 starter license. So if we fast forward one year later, your customer count is still growing, so you're certainly broadening the base like you did in 0809. The question would be maybe take us back to the upsell motion from the starter license and compare and contrast that to upselling from the free cloud, what you learned then uh, and what you can apply now to improve cloud upsell. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Scott here, Adam. Uh, great question. 
And so just a reminder for those who haven't followed the Austin stories for such a long uh, time that back in the 0809 financial downturn, uh, we introduced three versions of our behind the firewall products back then. Um, and uh, and $10 starters, I guess, was really what we introduced back then where you had to pay $10 and you got 10 uses of our products down from what was a couple of thousand dollars uh, was our lowest price at the time. So very disruptive pricing changes. Um, and that was a long-term play for us because we left a lot of money on the table. People that previously paying us you know, thousands of dollars were now paying us uh, $10 to get a version of our, our software. And <clears throat> the good thing with that is it opens the funnel up to a whole bunch of companies that otherwise would not uh, have uh, considered our products. And over the long term, they you know, go from 10th to 11th to 12th users and then start paying us, uh, you know, on a different pricing curve. So echoing that, um, in the uh, COVID uh, time period a couple of years ago, we introduced basically free versions of our products down from $10 a month in the cloud down to free. Um, and similarly, we saw that open the funnel uh, at the top of our, uh, you know, customer acquisition uh, side of things. And so the natural question to ask, well, then how do you convert more of those free customers to paid, uh, you know, and how do you change that cycle um, that is something we do look at, um, but honestly, most of our uh, free-to-paid is based on usage and based on customer value and changing, you know, from 10 to 11 users. And uh, you could, uh, you know, one of the advantages of the Alaskan business model is that customers pay us as they start using more of our features, and we don't expend a huge amount of energy trying to call them, trying to encourage them. You know, you could waste a lot of money in a sales motion doing that. And so what we do is spend a lot of time looking at the, uh, the levels at which we charge for things and make sure that is the appropriate gate um, and make sure we provide value to our customers. And so as they use our products more and more, um, we, uh, you know, we get the value uh, um, as, they, as they increase their, uh, their usage. Now, not only have we done uh, free, uh, you know, at the start of COVID, um, when we saw, you know, a couple of months ago, more uh, interesting and macroeconomic times, we decided to go harder on, ITSM on, on our JSM offering where we made it, you know, cheaper at the low end um, and for competitive migrations for people that were switching out from other higher priced uh, offerings. And so, you know, at Alaskan, we talk sometimes about the price rises that come through at various parts of our cycle, um, but we also spend a lot of time working on how do we make it cheaper um, at other areas, like in order to more aggressively get market share. And so for us, it's a long-term play about gaining market share and not really a short-term sugar hit of, you know, trying to convert those free customers to paid in any particular given time period. Makes sense. Thank you so much. The next question comes from Peter Wade from Bernstein. Peter, please go ahead. Thank you. Um, I guess there's two parts to this, kind of both focused uh, maybe on a fall-on even with the uh, new customers. Um, you certainly had a, a nice uptick uh, this last quarter relative to the prior one on uh, net new customers. Um, and I guess there's two parts of it. One is we were, uh, you know, backing out in our model, you know, what portion of the um, kind of new revenue growth was coming from the two. And it looked like you were probably seeing kind of flat quarter over quarter revenue contribution from kind of new customers over the trailing 12 months. And most of the headwinds are really coming from um, existing customers. Uh, that, does that seem about about right that that the new customers were probably kind of like flattening, and it was mostly the existing customers' expansion that that had been the issue? 
Yeah, this is Cameron. I'll speak to the net new customer number. Uh, so, uh, as we said before, you know, the, the new customer number does jump around from quarter to quarter for a variety of reasons. Um, that said, uh, very glad to see uh, the increase from Q2 to Q3 with over 6,500 net new customers. It's, it's showing that there's continued demand for what we have, that we still can convert those free customers to paid customers, and it's nice to see the quarter-on-quarter -quarter increase. Um, however, I do want to call out that that challenge that we've been mentioning for the last few quarters of our conversion rate from free plans to paid plans is still lower than it was historically before we saw these macroeconomic headwinds. Um, as far as net new customers impact into our, our short-term revenue, it is minimal. Um, and today where we always focus on the net new customer, you know, overall number is really a better guide for our long-term portion of our business. Your next question from, comes from Ari Tajanian from Cleveland Research. Your question, please. Hi, all. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, just a question on the, uh, the cloud growth and expectations here. Um, one, you know, given the strength in data center, you called that out as better than expected in the quarter. Does that suggest potentially that future migrations to cloud may not be quite as pronounced? given you know, customers are renewing on data center more than you expected. And second, you know, I believe in the shareholder letter, it was called out for the first time there was an impact from seat count reductions. Um, do you believe that's more reflective of layoffs that are being that are occurring today or more reflective of you know the layoffs that we saw last year? Thank you. Yeah, multi-part question here. Uh, this is Joe. I'll take part of it, and then Cam will chime in. Um, I'd say in terms of the data center to cloud migrations, not at all. We expect those to continue to be strong uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, Cam spoke earlier about the multi-year journey we're on. Uh, we continue to add a ton of value uh, in the cloud. We continue to invest in migration tooling and customer support. Uh, we continue to invest in data residency and scalability and certifications and extensibility and all the things, you know, that are going to enable more customers in that data center category to move to the cloud. So we remain very bullish on that opportunity. Um, Cam, you want to take the next part? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just solidify the just the, you know, we see customers choosing data center as further investment in Atlassian and our multi-year journey of getting customers to the cloud is very much on track with our expectations. You know, and we increasingly are, improve our ability to migrate customers every single day. Um, as far as your mention on the seat count reduction, um, in general, I say the biggest issue that we focus on is the is the the paid seat expansion. And customers are still expanding their seats. It's just not at the same rate that we saw before the macroeconomic headwinds. Of course, there are a subset of our customers, a very small subset, that have reduced their employee count over the last few, few months. And when their renewals come up, they're renewing at a lower tier than than what they previously renewed because they have less new users in their business. But overall, that is a small overall percentage of our customer base. The bulk of where we focus is really the paid seat expansion. Your next question comes from Jake Roberg from William Blair. Jake, please go ahead. Yes, thanks for taking my questions. Just wanted to double click on that, the data center strength you saw in the quarter. Is that more a result of new customers starting to land there or upsells within existing customers, or is that really just the server migrations going more towards DC than you expected to cloud? 
And then more of a high-level one, but what's driving this seed expansion for DC versus the headwinds for cloud? Is, is that primarily a result of the enterprise focus in DC? Yep, thanks for the question. This is Joe. Uh, as we discussed earlier, when you look at that DC strength and resilience, it's really driven by two things, better than expected renewals, and then paid seed expansions at existing customers. Kim? Yeah, I have to say, it's just in the quarter, we have to remember we did do a price change on data center, and that causes uh, customers to make a choice whether they, if they're thinking about adding users in the future, it's a good compelling event that, for them to choose data center. But once again, you know, we see that path to data center. We prove it again and again. We have the ability to move data center customers to the cloud. You know, over the last year, half of the seats we've moved to the cloud are from data center customers. So, you know, we see this as, you know, within the quarter, it's fantastic. People choose data center, but that's great. We can eventually get them to cloud, and we're proving that every day. Thank you. And that concludes our question and answer session. I will now turn the call over to Mike for closing remarks. I just wanted to say uh, thank you everyone for your questions. Thank you to those who uh, uh, came to our uh, analyst function at Team 23. And uh, I hope you all have a, a fantastic rest of your day.